Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. Last week was Pentecost Sunday and we are continuing our series. We're in the second of three parts on our Pentecost. So last week we talked about the presence of God and how God's um, presence was meant to fill the whole earth, that we started in Genesis and that it was always meant to go to the world, that through the people and the garden, humanity was supposed to spread and take the garden with them. And God's presence was meant to fill the whole earth with humanity. But we know that that failed with Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. But Pentecost represents the Spirit of God coming upon humanity. And so now, as people accept Jesus, they're filled with the Spirit, and everywhere they go, the Spirit goes with them. And so the mission of God is that we embrace that kingdom reality that He is with us, and that He's also calling other people back to Himself. And as we call people back to repentance and they accept Jesus, the Spirit of God continues to grow as the people grow. So we are going to be taking this idea, and we're going to take it from a different angle, and we're going to talk about exile, the mission of God, and how that talks about with people who are exiled and lost. So before we jump into the text, um, we have a microphone. Does anybody want to share their story of when God saved them, when they received Jesus, and how that's been personally impactful? Because that's going to kind of tie into the rest of the message. Yeah? I thank the Lord, giving honor to God today and to this pastor and this wonderful body here. I'm from Houston, Texas, so I'm a long-winded person. (laughs) I can talk and talk, and I can tell you how God saved me and when he saved me and how long it's been since 1974, April Fool's Day. I gave that devil the last black eye and the final black eye, and he's on his way to hell forever because I am out. I am free, and I'm going to chase him if nobody else does. God has done too good to me. He's done too much for me. He saved me, first of all. Then he healed me constantly. Everything, cancer. I'm a cancer survivor. Thank the Lord, I, uh, since I've been here, I moved here in 2011, I've had three surgeries where I was pronounced, and my heart, I'm a heart survivor of surgery. God had delivered me from a pituitary brain tumor. I was a gunshot wound to the head. I am still alive because God takes care of me. Wow, yeah. And he will not fail you, Okay. No matter what it looks like, no matter how dark it gets, hang on. Because joy cometh in the morning. Yeah. I think awesome. I'll stop. I won't let somebody oh. else. I'll let somebody else talk. Thank you. 
I have now handed over my job. I, I resign. <laughs> I got room for another guy. How about you, Devin? Oh, right. You told your story last week. All right, Devin, I've got you already. So I was working with Michigan Rehabilitation, and uh, they found me a spiritual counselor uh, on virtual. And the very first time that I ever met with her, halfway through it, she interrupted me to say, I think you should be a preacher. Didn't even like read half of the Bible at this point and was way off by that. But at the end of my uh, little meeting with her, I said, is there anything that I can pray for you for? And she said in the 20 years that she's done that, nobody's ever asked her. And so I said a prayer for her nephew who was getting surgery on a brain tumor. Um, and it was that weekend too. So a couple weeks goes by. Um, she tells me that after the surgery, her nephew woke up and her mom or his mom was getting ready to hang a picture of Jesus on the wall above him and he asked to see the picture rubbed it on his face and then looked at his mom and said I saw Jesus he told me to tell you don't worry everything's okay and then he had a nice speedy recovery after that That's no awesome. complications yeah so that was an amazing thing that was only probably like three weeks after I found Jesus. That's awesome. All right. Sorry, that's sitting with me really well. He's powerful. I remember I, I grew up in church with my parents, you know, and my parents, you know, would take us to, to church every week. And I remember just loving worship and connecting with the people, but there was still a heart disconnect, you know, growing up. And I remember when I was in high school, I kind of had these little wandering years, and I had a buddy of mine, and I hadn't been going to the youth group. I'd kind of had, like, I would go, and then I would leave early, and I uh, just tried to be independent, and this guy from church comes over and says, hey, um, what's going on with you? And I said, like, I don't know. I'm just not feeling it. I just... I was just having those doubts in that moment of like, I don't know what this is. He's like, hey, look, why don't you come to the winter retreat? We're going to go out and we're going to enjoy just a whole weekend away. You're going to have fun and we're going to have some message and you're going to enjoy that. And I'm like, all right, I'll go. And I remember the first night, it was like a Thursday night, and the preacher was talking about Isaiah 6 and who will go for me? Who will I send? And that moment where God walks into the temple and Isaiah is like, woe is me for I, I'm among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord. And I remember just feeling this tightness around my chest. And I was like, oh man, what is this? I've not felt this before. Yes, and he just, be yeah, I know. That's awesome. I remember the preacher said, this is for you. This is for you. 
God is calling you near. And I remember running back because they had the altar call in the back for some reason, but I sprinted back to one of the camp counselors and I began just to weep that night. And that weekend changed my life forever. Like from that moment on, I knew that for the rest of my life, I wanted this. I wanted him. That, I believe, is the point of Pentecost. That, I think, is the point of Jesus' ministry, is that God has now come close, and God has now removed the stain that separates us and takes away that condition in my life that has kept me far, and now he's close. That is not just my story. That's your story. That's everyone who's accepted Jesus. That's either your story or it should be your story. That God has now come close. And Pentecost is about the presence of God now coming and remaining on us. Today we're going to talk about the idea of exile. Why is humanity in the place that it's in? And what has Jesus done to counteract that reality? So if you turn with me to your Bibles, I'm going to go to, to two different stories in two different sections of the Bible. One's going to be in the very first book called Genesis. We're going to go to chapter 11. And then we're going to retouch Acts chapter 2. So, cool, we have slides today. Excellent. Thank you, love. Appreciate you doing that. All right, if you, can't, if you don't have your scriptures, I'm reading them right behind. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 says, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. They will, they will, uh, this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower that people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In the same way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that, there, uh, that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. And going to Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they had heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. 
Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all, and we hear, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Let's go ahead and pray. Come Holy Spirit. I ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what you want to speak today. I ask that you would give us wisdom as we read your text. And would you be with us in Jesus' name. So to pull back a little bit on this story of Babel. Um, I don't know many of you who grew up in church, you probably like were in Sunday school and you had the illustrated book of this tower that was built and it was kind of like going into heaven and it was like hopping up in the clouds, you know. And, you know, it's kind of like the Jack and the Beanstalk story where they throw the magical bean into the thing and then they climb into the tower where the giants are in the clouds. And that's kind of how we were taught that this passage was, is somehow they're going to climb up into heaven and then they're going to take over heaven by walking into the clouds and knock down God or whatever, right? That's not what this story is about. This story is really telling the story of depravity, that humanity had become so wicked and they actually, the story of Babel is the anti-Eden, Whereas Eden was this garden temple where humanity was invited to be where God was. It's where God's presence resided. And the idea was that humanity would be able to eat of the trees, to tend the garden, to do what God did. Then they would create family through intimacy and love. And they would go out and they would take the seeds of the garden and plant the garden elsewhere. And God's garden would grow where people would grow. Babel is the opposite. Babel says, hey, we don't want to be scattered to the rest of the world. We want to congregate. We want to settle. We're going to go to this city, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. Instead of making a name for God and going where God goes, you know what? We're going to do this for us. We're going to be our own people. We're going to make our own decisions. And what a tower was in the ancient world were these big pyramids, right? You go to Egypt, you go to Mesopotamia, you go to South America, and you see these large structures. They're called ziggurats. What they are, they're, they're, they're towers, they're mountains where they would do sacrifices. They would take bulls, they would take animals, they sometimes took humans, and they would kill them in the idea that they would gain power from gods or other spiritual entities. And so what Babel is, is it's a place of violence. It's a place of evil. It's a place where humans have devised rebellion against God, where instead of perpetuating God's design, they've decided to do things on their own. This is the last of three rebellions in Genesis 1 through 11, and God throughout the millennia is trying to course correct humanity and this is the final straw. Humanity has chosen its own depravity. It's chosen its own gods. It's chosen its own desires. And because of this, God puts a pause on the human project and scatters them and exiles them. Now, jump for me across the millennia, and we come to Pentecost. 
Jesus has just died in Passover, which is 50 days prior. Penta is 50. So Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So at Passover, Jesus dies on the cross and he resurrects. And now he's met up with his disciples, 120 of them he calls to Jerusalem. And over the course of 40 days, he's revealing himself to over 500 people. And he's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about what God is wanting to do. And on the 40th day, the day that he rises up, he tells his people, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Because just in a few days from now, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and you're going to receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world. This is what is being said. And then Jesus is taken up into heaven, and they're all like, what's going on? Jesus is gone. And the angels say, hey, go back in the city. Wait for the promise of the Father to come. We're like, okay, cool. So the guys go. They go back to the upper room, and they're praying for 10 days. They're asking the Lord to send the promise. And on the 10th day, which is Pentecost, the Spirit of God falls and there's this rush of wind. It's like a sonic boom goes through the whole city, and everyone's like, what's going on over there? And all of a sudden, flames of fire come down upon the people, and they begin to speak in other languages. They begin to speak in the languages that are not native to themselves. These are actually to the people that have been exiled, to the people that are gone. And when they come, they're hearing it in their own tongues, that's what Pentecost is about. It's the reversal of Babel. It's the reversal of exile. It's the taking over of Satan's domain. You are no longer exiled from God. You are now brought close. So let's go back to Babel for a moment. Babel, Babel showcases the, the reason that humanity is in the mess that it's in, right? We just talked about how evil it is. Where humanity was meant to advance the virtues of God, humanity ends up embracing and embodying avarice. Let me give you three examples of that. In the garden, Adam and Eve were expected to have a love relationship, to have a love relationship with God and to have a love relationship for themselves. That intimacy of love was meant to create a family. It was meant to create a family unit, and that family unit was meant to perpetuate throughout all of creation. This was meant to be this exciting, invigorating relationship and love and romance that the whole world would experience over the course of its time. But what is embraced after sin is lust. What we end up seeing over the course of Genesis 1 through 11 is men take on many wives, they create harems for themselves. They create temple prostitutes. They begin to subject women to sexual abuse. And what we see today is lust. We see people pursuing sexual desires outside of God's design, and therefore we're a broken society. Things are breaking because lust has taken over where love should be the answer. Love should be what's perpetuated by the church and the people. The second one is the idea of abundance. In the garden, there was abundance. 
Humanity was given all that was needed. In the garden motif, you see that a garden is filled with water, and it has fruit, it has shade, it has everything necessary from the harsh the conditions of maybe the desert. The garden is something beautiful. And so they were expected to have God's abundance and His joy and His peace. But humanity has chosen greed. It's chosen to extort one another where you end up with someone on the top. You have someone hoarding all the resources, and you have a ruler and an entourage of people who own a lot while they subject all the people who are impoverished and poor. That's why over and over again you see Yahweh say, justice is to the poor, justice is to the weak, justice is to the widow, because what has happened is greed has taken over in such a degree that humanity now has this upper class that rules over a lower class. That is the brokenness of humanity, is greed. One last thought is peace. Humanity was meant to bring the shalom of God, the peace, the wholeness. The wholeness of God was supposed to fill all of humanity. But humanity turns to subjecting one another to violence. They do war against one another. They murder each other for land. They murder each other for resources. And the losers oftentimes became slaves. This is what Babel represents, is the brokenness of humanity has become so dark and so destructive that God had to put an end to it because if it continued, then the world would be irrevocably unfixable. This is the problem. But God had a plan. His plan was Israel. Israel was his people. They were meant to embody love. They were meant to embody uh, abundance. They were meant to embody peace. Their love for God and themselves was supposed to be the hallmark. If they stayed within the covenant, they were meant to be blessed beyond belief. If they stayed within the covenantal rules, God would make them the jewel. They would make them the head, not the tail. That people would look around and say, wow, what is God doing there? We need to return there because God is obviously amongst them. That was the point of Israel. Israel was meant to go and bring the nations back to Mount Zion. That's the image that we get. That the nations that are exiled are meant to come home that God's mountain would be the mountain above all the others, that the stream of the nations would return out of exile because of Israel's mission. The problem, though, is that Israel fails its vocation. Instead of perpetuating these things and these virtues, they end up becoming like the other nations. They end up doing what the other nations do, they begin to throw their children into the fire. They begin to do evil. They begin to worship idols. They begin to sacrifice. They begin to give in to their own sexual promiscuities. They begin to give in to the lusts of the world. And because of this, what was meant to be the solution of evil has become evil. What was meant to bring back the nations themselves become exiled like the nations. God scatters them abroad like he does when he comes down with Babylon and Babylon takes them into captivity and spreads them out into their empire. They are exiled. Now, Jesus comes onto this scene with a lot of prophecies that are being spoken. 
The Jews have returned back to the land in the time of Jesus. Rome is now the massive uh, empire that's running over everything. And the Jews have somehow sort of come back in a small fragment. The majority of them are still spread out among the nations. They're still exiled. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, he embodies Israel's vocation. He demonstrates what it means to love. Jesus loves the poor. Jesus loves the broken. He heals those who are sick. He casts out demons from those who are tormented. And he brings justice to the widow and the poor. He flocks to those who are hurting. And he speaks nonstop about what it is to love your neighbor, what it is to love the people who are broken. He also talks about what it is to have an abundance of the Spirit. The abundance of God is not material wealth. It's not greed. It's not materialism. It's actually experiencing God and having a peace no matter what circumstance. And so Jesus, no matter what is going on around him, if it's a storm, if it's being cold and not having a home, if it's in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's waiting to die, he still has peace because the Spirit's with him. He demonstrates for us a life that is to be emulated, to be imitated, because Jesus comes in the form of humanity so that we would model our lives after him. Jesus comes so that we would look at his humanity and say, okay, that's the vocation we need to follow. Jesus is the one who we need to imitate. God has come down and become flesh so that we could see what it's like to live in vocation, to live a life of abundance of spirit, to live a life of love. And then Jesus also talks about peace. More than anything else, he looks at the, the problem. He says, love your enemies. Love those who hate you. If the guy slaps you in the face, give him your other cheek to slap. He doesn't give us an option to go to war against them. He doesn't give us an option to hate. He actually demonstrates what it's like to have peace. And then Jesus does the most unexpected thing. The Messiah is supposed to reign, right? The Messiah is supposed to conquer Rome. He's supposed to do something mighty, but no, he dies. Why does he die? He was supposed to take over. He was supposed to sit on a throne, but instead he does the most unexpected thing. He dies in our place. He conquers sin by dying as a lamb. He conquers sin by becoming the Passover lamb. That when you spread the blood of the lamb over the lamppost, God passes over his judgment on us. That's the point. That Jesus has paid the penalty for our punishment. He's become the Passover. He's become the one who alleviates us from the guilt and the shame of, of exile. We will no longer be exiled again. We are included into the promise. And whoever believes upon Jesus is no longer excluded, but included. They are removed from exile and brought home. And when Jesus resurrects, he defeats that power that is held over your head, which is sin and death. He has defeated sin on your behalf so that you would no longer remain in exile because sin equals exile. That is the condition that humanity has been exiled, is sin. And Jesus has dealt that blow. 
God's love for the world caused him to send Jesus. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, dies on behalf of his creation so that we would experience his new creation. This world would no longer be given to the brokenness and depravity, but they would experience wholeness, peace, and joy. That is what the ultimate goal of Jesus' ministry is. That right now, those who are in the Spirit, those of us who have received Christ, are filled with His blessing. And though we are externally in a world that is still broken, we get to remain in Him because what we are looking forward to is the renewal of all things. Christ is returning. And when He returns, this exodus that we are now in, this journey through the wilderness of brokenness will come to a completion. This world will be shaped into God's new world. And you have become his new creation in the present because he has removed the exile condition. And that is why we proclaim a message of forgiveness of sins. That is why we proclaim to the nations, come home. God is no longer counting your trespasses against you. You are no longer supposed to be exiled. You are meant to come home. That is the message of Scripture. That is the meaning of Pentecost. Pentecost is now the removal of exile because the Spirit has come to you. Because the Spirit is in you, the presence of God is in you. Because He is now here, we are no longer there. We have been set free. And now the world can experience that freedom. That is our job. That is our mission. To experience God's presence, that intimate, that intimate moments, those intimate lovings, those intimate connection times through worship, through prayer, through reading our scriptures, through loving other people. God shows up in those moments. We are to know him and make him known. So a few takeaways I want you to take tonight. Jesus has dealt with our rebellion on the cross. If you're in this room or if you're listening on the podcast, if you are struggling in your heart, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with your own desires, if you are dealing with thoughts against the Lord, He can remove those. He can take that away. The Spirit is the antidote to rebellion. The first step is to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I repent of my brokenness. I repent of my sin. I repent for what I've done and caused in this world that has been broken. And you say, I accept you as Lord. Would you give me your spirit? I believe if you say that, if you commit that, that God's going to come, he's going to remain in you. But the next part of that is that you join a community, that you stay in connection with people because we're all going in the right direction. We're all going towards a goal to be healed and to heal, to be redeemed and to redeem. Which leads me to my second point. You have been called out of your broken condition to embody virtue. Just like Jesus loved, we are to love. Just like Jesus had a, uh, an abundant life in the Spirit, we are to have an abundant life in Jesus and the Spirit. 
And just like Jesus pronounced peace and promoted peace, we are to promote peace. That is the message that Jesus says, or sorry, Isaiah speaks of the Messiah, that of his government and his peace will continue to grow forever and ever and ever. His peace, his shalom, the glory of God comes to people through the proclamation of the message of forgiveness. Peace is the demonstration. You have been called to reach those who remain in darkness and to call them out of exile. You are ambassadors, as Paul says. We are ambassadors proclaiming to the nations. God is not holding your sin against you. Your trespasses are not being held against you because Christ has made that way. If we accept Jesus, we become free. And that is the message to the world we carry. And lastly, you have been given the Spirit to know God and imitate Jesus, the perfect human. We do as He did. We are in the redemption business. That is what we do. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website at vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.